0: It's Palm Sunday, as we've talked about, as we've seen, as we've celebrated in some ways. And, and I have to be honest, I think I've <clears throat> told you this before. Palm Sunday has has always been a bit of a struggle for me. Um, I'm not sure why. I it, it Perhaps it's because the church I grew up in didn't do a whole lot of talking about Palm Sunday. Uh, we might have made a mention of it, but there were no celebrations. There were no uh, special ways in which kids participated or celebrated. I realized why some of that was today as I watched some... Chaos moving around, and in the church I grew up in, chaos from children was somehow seen as inappropriate. Um, I remember a man who sat in the hallways, and any time a kid ran through the hallways, he would threaten them. Uh, I remember Joe quite clearly, uh, as several times Joe called me down, and his threat was typically... If I catch you running through the hallways, I'm going to make you sit in, by the pastor during worship because the pastor always sat up front and that was our threat. We'd have to sit up front the whole time. Um, I never saw them actually do that. I can't imagine how that would have gone. Um, I mean, like in hindsight, like how great would that have been to be able to like really see things out of control as they watched me on the platform? Um <clears throat> But it wasn't something we talked about a lot. And maybe that's the reason that for me, as we come to it and we talk about it, I'm not sure what to do with it. I'm not sure what needs to happen. I remember the first year or two I was here, folks would start asking, so what are we going to do for Palm Sunday? And I was like, well, I mean, we're going to show up and we're going to have worship. And I'm going to prepare to preach because that's what we do on Sundays. And it was, it was just a Sunday. And I, I think some of that comes from what I've experienced. I think some of that perhaps also comes from... The oddity that today is Today is an odd day In the journey of Jesus Today is an odd day in our own spiritual journeys Today is an odd day in what happens As we look at the historical last week of Jesus But also as we think about the walk towards Easter It is an odd day as these two worlds kind of collide together as these two struggles come together and we try and figure out what is taking place in the two of them. And as I think back to to the church I grew up in, it wasn't even that we talked much about Holy Week. So it wasn't just in that. And yet it's as if I knew that there was this odd wrestling that took place on Palm Sunday. That was hard to make sense of. In the Lenten Guide, if you've been reading along with it, Ruth Haley Barton makes this comment. She says, Holy Week is a bizarre juxtaposition of two kinds of passion. And perhaps for me, it was the struggle of the juxtaposition of the two that leaves me in this place of going, what do I do I do with this? Mark 11, we read the story, we read about Palm Sunday, we read about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and this is where we get our idea of the celebration and what happens. Many call this the triumphal entry of Jesus. And Mark makes no apologies as he tells the story. He is telling the story of the king. He is talking about it in a very kingly fashion. He doesn't use Matthew's words about Jesus coming in on a donkey and it's showing his humility. No, Mark talks about the king. The king is coming in. It's why he tends to use colt instead of donkey. The word can go either way. But he talks about it in a more kingly fashion, wanting us to grasp that in Mark's understanding, this is the king marching in. The king is coming back to Jerusalem. So the disciples go, they get this cult. We, we don't find out for sure if it was pre-planned that they were going to go get it or if it was kind of spur of the moment that he's like, hey, let's get this and take it with us. But we see that Mark believed, that they believed, that even the explanation that came with it says, Jesus, the master, has told us to come and get it. And seemingly to everyone, There was no question as to whether or not that was acceptable, whether or not that was appropriate. So they took this borrowed colt, this borrowed donkey, and they took it back to Jesus, the king. I've never been to Jerusalem, but it's my understanding that entering Jerusalem, especially from Jericho, is a majestic experience no matter who is walking in. That there's something about this place, that there's something about this space, that there's something about being there, that this place is special and sacred. And even though I've never been there, again, the, the the testimonies that I see is that that everything kind of builds into and helps us understand and illustrates and reinforces the idea that there's something special about this place. So Jerusalem sits on a hill. So geographically, there's something that says this place is special. It sits on a hill, and as you were coming in from Jerusalem to Jericho, it means that you would have climbed a hill of some 4,000 feet in order to get there. So Jesus and his disciples did that. Other pilgrims, other messengers would have climbed this 4,000-feet pilgrimage from Jericho to Jerusalem, and they would have struggled, and they would have battled, but they would have eventually ...found this victorious climb... ...that they have arrived at the top of the hill. They have found Jerusalem. Ecologically, apparently... ...as you get into Jerusalem... ...you begin to find lush vegetation. You find um, things that are growing... ...that can't grow in the deserts... ...that surround the city. So as you enter, you begin to see green... ...and signs of life... ...and all of these things that go... ...wow, there's something special... ...about this place, about this space. Theologically... This is the place that they believed that God had said he would live among them, among their people. So the temple was built in Jerusalem because this is where God was going to live. So faithful men and women, faithful Jewish men and women would come and they'd travel to Jerusalem all of the time throughout the year. But especially on these holy days, these holidays, they would travel in to celebrate. They would travel in to be in the place where God lived among them in the temple at the temple in Jerusalem, in this special city. When they came and when they gathered, they would celebrate the stories of their history because their history said Jerusalem was special. It was special because it was here, as among many places, but especially here, that God had over and over again proved his love and his faithfulness to the children of God. And they came, and as they worshipped, they believed that still here in this city, God would continue to prove, to show his faithfulness, that he would continue to bless them. So lots and lots of people made ...moves into Jerusalem, and especially now in this journey that Jesus and the disciples were making, it was Passover. So so people were flocking to Jerusalem. They were coming to the place of the temple. They were coming to the place of God. They were coming to this holy city because that's where they went to celebrate Passover. That's where they went to celebrate freedom. So they're excited. You know how uh, the, the the joys that come with holidays... In our own lives, but in theirs now, we're watching this and there's this joy. It's the holiday. There's, there's feast. There's excitement. There's the city that itself said something special. There's the freedom that they were coming to celebrate. Passover, you might remember, comes from the Old Testament when, when the Israelites were freed from Egypt because God came in and the firstborns of all the Egyptians and their animals were killed, but the Israelites were passed. Over Because of the blood of the lamb That they painted around their door So they celebrated the Passover in special ways Every year and part of that was through this Journey to Jerusalem So they came and they celebrated And the city would have been full of people Celebrating freedom We have been given freedom We have been rescued We were liberated from Egypt We're free from that pain So the city would have been full of singing And prayer, dancing and feasting this was a special time, but, but this year, as we read about it in Mark 11, there was something especially poignant going on, something especially significant, something especially valuable. They had new reason to celebrate because as they came in, Jesus and his followers were filled with anticipation, not just about the Passover, but that this time the king Was coming into the city with them. The Messiah was riding in beside them. Exactly the point that Mark was making. Mark wants us to understand and to see this is the king coming in. They are celebrating freedom because the king is coming back to Jerusalem. So, the way that the story is told, the way that it's painted, they didn't just take off their cloaks, their outer garments, their their most important article of clothing and throw it on the ground for a horse to walk on for just anyone. If this was done, it was done for royalty. They didn't take palm branches or whatever kind of leaves it says that they had, that they were waving in the air, that they were laying out on the ground as we've done making a sort of red carpet, you might call it, that's spread out here. They didn't just do that for anyone. That was done for royalty showing that royalty was coming in, royalty was marching in. So as they they spread the palm fronds on the ground and they waved them in the air, they were saying, there is something special happening here. This one on the colt, this one is special. They were coming to celebrate freedom. Freedom that had come to them long ago on a dark night in Egypt. And freedom that was riding in on the back of a colt. They were there to celebrate that the king was coming home to Jerusalem. They were there to celebrate that the king was bringing them home to Jerusalem. So as they laid out their coats, as they collected these branches and they waved them in the air and they spread them on the ground, they shouted out to the one who they looked to for freedom. The one who was riding in and I cried out to him, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now, as I read it, you saw that the New Living translated the word, which happens from time to time, but often it's not translated. It's left Hosanna, which is a Hebrew word, a Hebrew word that N.T. Wright says um, mixes exuberant praise to God with the prayer that God will save his people and do so in the right way. So as they cried Hosanna, they're crying celebration, praise, but they're also crying out, save us, save us. Hosanna, Hosanna is what they shouted to Jesus as he marched in. And the rest of the praise, the rest of what they shouted to Jesus as he rode on this donkey came from Psalm 118. The psalm that we read earlier in our invitation. It came from that psalm and the Literal translation of it is, blessed is the one who comes. We read something similar. That's what we saw in Psalm 118. That's what we saw in, uh, in the Mark 11 passage that we read. Blessed is the one who comes. But get this. In Hebrew or Aramaic, this term is what they would have used to say, welcome. This is the language that they would have used to say, Welcome. So as they gathered around Jesus, their coats on the ground, the leaves in the air, and some of them scattered on the ground, they are making a petition. They are making a proclamation. They are saying, welcome to the kingdom of David. Come, welcome in. Now make no mistake, this is without a shadow of a doubt a political statement. They are making a political statement to Jesus. They are making a political cry that the Messiah has come, that the King is now here. The King is coming in on a donkey. So as they shout out to him, they say, welcome King to your kingdom. That's what they were actually crying out to him. That's what they were actually saying. They believed that the new kingdom was about to come in and overthrow the old kingdom. So they came and they celebrated and they shouted Hosanna. And the story tells us in Mark that Jesus came in and he went to the temple and he looked around. <laughs> (laughs) And then he left. He didn't do anything. He came in, he looked, and he left, and he went to a nearby village, and he gathered with his closest followers. We're left in suspense. If we were first-time readers, or if we were hearing this story for the first time, or if we were actually there, we're left in this suspense. We watched the king march march in to take his kingdom. He looked around, and then he walked back out, and was like, whoa, wait a minute, hold on, what's happening? And they watched, and they waited. I think that this juxtaposition that Barton speaks of, this colliding of the two, was not just a collision between what happened here on Palm Sunday and what was celebrated and what happened a few days later. It was not just the events that kind of collide with one another in Jesus' story. This is also a juxtaposition between those who understood what was taking place and those who didn't. Because you see the crowds that shouted, the disciples who marched with Jesus, all of those who were around and waiting and crying out, they had aspirations and expectations for the days ahead. And as we've talked about before, as they looked to Messiah, they had a baseline belief of what it meant for someone to be Messiah. And here was the baseline. Here was kind of the general understanding. Messiahs don't get killed by the enemy. Like if nothing else is true or nothing else they understand, at the very least, they knew that that had to be true. For someone to actually be Messiah, a Messiah could not be killed by the enemy. Or then they were just a false Messiah. So They, 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 they knew this to be the case. They expected this to be the case. And were told that they worshipped him. They proclaimed him king. They sacrificed their possessions. They, they literally took these coats, these things that kept them warm, that protected them. And they threw them on the ground for a horse to walk on. Now horse, horses don't do good things to the ground that they walk on. But imagine throwing your clothes underneath a horse. All kinds of remains would be left behind. The worst of which is not hoof prints. If you don't know what I'm talking about, ask a neighbor. They kind of snickered. They're catching on. But they sacrificed their possessions because they believed that this man was the king. They sacrificed their dignity in making a public profession that this was the Messiah, this was the king, this was the one who was marching in. They potentially even sacrificed their lives as they were willing to make a public statement that there was someone coming in who was king that was someone other than Caesar. These men and women put everything on the line because they believed that this man was the promised Messiah. And they didn't even know what was coming. They didn't understand what Jesus was doing. They didn't understand where he was going. They expected that this Passover would be different. The Messiah was coming into Jerusalem. But they never even imagined that it would happen the way that it did. They never fathomed that it could possibly be what it was. And I think that this reality, that this story, that this Palm Sunday experience brings you and me to a place that we have to ask the question of ourselves, are you and I willing to worship Jesus before we understand all that Jesus is doing? Are we willing to worship Jesus before we can grasp all the things that he wants to do through us and with us and around us? Are we willing to worship God when we don't fully understand what is happening, what's taking place, what's going to take place? Are we willing to give everything to follow this Jesus? Even when there is so much mystery, so much unknown, so much unclear... About what it is that Jesus desires to do in the days and weeks and months and years ahead. What Jesus desires to do with us, in us, around us. Are we willing to worship a Savior? When not only do we not get to define the way that this works. We don't even understand the way that it will work. Over the last several weeks as we've walked through Lent, we've been talking about a new way. A new way of living which Jesus came to teach and to model, to call us to. And in the process of that, we've talked about the way of solitude and the way of self-denial. We've talked about the way of repentance and we've talked about the way of confession. We've talked about the way of suffering. And today we talk about the way of worship. And all of these aspects of of what it means to walk in this new way differ a bit. And yet, what brings them all together and the commonality that they all share if we're going to experience this new way, this way of following after Jesus that we've been called to follow, is that every one of them expects that we be fully committed. The way of Jesus is an all-in way of life. It's not just a topping that we get to add on top of what we're already doing. It's it's not just an add-on that we get to put in. It's not some kind of dressing on the side of a, of a salad as if we get to have our life. But here over on the side we've got Jesus and we can add as much or as little as we want. And it can be involved as much as we want. And we can kind of mix it in some or we can leave it right on the top or we can not even have it be a part of what we're doing at all. This idea of following Jesus, it's not some costume that we put on hiding what's actually underneath the surface, what's at our core. The idea of walking in a new way, the idea of following Jesus is an all-in way of life. Following Jesus means that we are giving everything we have to the King. Following Jesus in this way is full submission To the way of the one that we don't fully understand. Choosing the way of Jesus means leaving everything else behind. And our clearest proclamation of that comes in our worship. It comes in our public and our private crying out to Jesus in reverence, in celebration, in praise, in submission to this Messiah. This one that we believe has come to bring salvation, has come to heal, has come to repair. And as we think about the idea of worship, there are all kinds of things that we get mixed up in. Our terminology for worship is so terrible because worship is not a song And it's not five songs, although it very well includes songs. Worship is not an event that we come and gather at week after week. Although, yes, this is us coming to worship, but worship is bigger than that. It is bolder than that. Worship is completely upending our lives and handing over control to Jesus. That's what it means to worship. We sing because we've completely upended our lives and handed over control to worship. We come and we gather because we've completely upended our lives and handed everything over to Jesus. We sing and we pray and we celebrate and we praise and we come together in this experience, this event we call worship because we have completely upended our lives. And handed everything over to Jesus. That's what it means to worship this king. That's what it means to follow this king. Worship is about you and I living lives that cry out. Hosanna. Hosanna. Welcome to the throne. Now what throne? What throne we might ask. The th- The throne of me, my throne, the throne of my heart, the throne of my soul, the throne of my life. I have decided that you are king, you are Lord, you get everything. So Hosanna, welcome to the throne. Come and be king. Everything else comes under you. Everything else comes behind you. And in doing so, when we worship rightly, it means that we also do so without requiring the blessings of following Jesus on the front end. You know, the scriptures are full of stories of the blessing that comes when we follow Jesus. The blessings that come in being one of the children of God. But when we truly worship, when we truly trust the Jesus that is unknown, the Jesus that is doing things that we don't understand, the mystery of God, it means that we come and worship and we don't demand the blessings on the front end. Instead, we come in... And we trust following after Jesus because the scriptures also tell us that the journey with Christ will include pain, that it will have burdens. As we talked about last week, there will be suffering in following after Jesus. An empty tomb will come. But first, there's a cross. The reality of the story and some of the wrestling that happens in this day is that those that shouted Hosanna weren't prepared for the cross. They weren't prepared for Jesus' suffering. And in fact, some were even unwilling to continue to make sacrifices. They'd made great sacrifices on that day. On Palm Sunday, as they shouted, they'd made great sacrifices, but they were unwilling to continue to do so. So they changed their words just days later. Standing on the hillside Watching Jesus enter the city With the one that they thought would overthrow Caesar They shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna Welcome to the kingdom But just days later As they stood in the city center Same man Now beaten and bruised The cries changed from Hosanna to crucify him. Now, not all, but many would have stood in both crowds. And Ruth Haley Barton clarifies what she means as she talks about the juxtaposition of Holy Week. As she says this, In the early part of the week, We witness the passion of a hyped-up crowd screaming their affirmations that Jesus is king as he rides humbly into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. Later in the week, we witness Jesus' own passion, suffering, as he walks resolutely into the final stages of God's plan for our redemption. Redemption. Hey, Valley, this is the way of worship. It means that as individuals, that as churches, that you and I will stand and say, we will stand with Jesus as he enters on a colt. And we will stand with Jesus as he's beaten and abused and crucified. And we will stand with Jesus as he leaves behind an empty tomb. We will take the entire journey. We'll give everything we have to follow after Jesus in every misery and in victory. We will worship before we understand what he must go through. We will worship before we understand what we must go through. We will worship before we understand the road ahead. In fact, we will worship him before we even understand what the next step includes. Hey, Valley, the way of worship says that not only will we worship the Jesus of Mark 11, but that we will also worship the Jesus of Mark 15. In the lectionary, something interesting happens as on Palm Sunday, there is both The liturgy of the palms and the liturgy of the passion. So let me read to you the second gospel reading from Mark 15. It says, very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. Then the leading priest kept accusing him of many crimes. And Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they're bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one of the prisoners at the time. Uh, one of the, sorry, I got lost. One, of, one prisoner, anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at the time was Barabbas. A revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and they asked him to release a prisoner as usual, as usual. Would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews? Pilate asked. For he realized by now that the leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point the leading priests stirred up the crowd To demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him. Why? Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead tipped whip. Then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters, called the praetorium, and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe, and they wove thorn branches into a crowd and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. A passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside. Just then the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of, the father of Alexander and Rufus. And they brought Jesus to a place called Galgatha, which means place of the skull. They offered him wine, drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. A sign was fastened to the cross announcing the charge against him. It read, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ah, look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice. Eloi, Eloi, Lemma sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, This man truly was the son of God. The way of worship asks that you and I be willing to submit everything to upend our entire lives and give everything to the Messiah who entered Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and to the Messiah who gave his life on the cross. And this week, The two collide and we experience Palm Sunday and we experience the pain of a day that we oddly call Good Friday. And worship means that we are willing to walk into both and proclaim that Jesus is King. Will you pray with me? Oh, precious Lord Jesus. We do not understand. We cannot fully grasp No matter how many sermons or theological dissertations or worship songs we interact with, we cannot understand how you love deeply enough to have done all that you have done. We cannot understand all that you have done or all that you will do or all that you desire to do. You are a mystery beyond our comprehension or our explanation. But God, today I ask that you give us hearts, minds, souls that are set on worshiping you. Worshiping you when you, we understand and worshiping you when we don't. Worshiping you when it is clear and worshiping you when the, when the mystery is so amazing that we can't see the road ahead. Give us courage to step forward. Give us courage to walk forward. Give us courage to upend our entire lives and give control of everything that we have to you, the King. Give us courage to submit the throne of our soul. To the Messiah on a donkey. And to the Messiah on the cross. And this week. Hold us back. From rushing too quickly. Out of the pain. Out of the mystery. Let us hold off as your disciples had to. What will come next? Let us worship all of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.